Welcome TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the clubbable Elliot <laughs> Shively. And it's not what you think. I so, see it. To me, that sounds like I look like I should be clubbed. <laughs> that's why I picked it because that's honestly what I thought too, club, clubbable. But uh, it's actually suitable for membership of a club because of one's sociability or popularity. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, so it is not- actually spelled like it sounds correct it's not yeah. like k-l-u-b-l-e no no b-l <laughs> no it, it's it's clubbable but not referring to you getting beaten with a club even though i do think that just like me or anyone else we can all we all have the same amount of club ability when it comes to actually being beaten with a club right so no some people definitely have a clubbable face true true yeah yeah uh-huh. anyway <laughs> anyway already off topic so as you know, or as you may not know, we have several social media profiles. Our main one is Instagram, but we also have two Facebook groups. One is private, one is public. And we post pictures provided by our guests with specific information related to the podcast episode to give extra context to our conversation and especially visuals. Because as great as listening to Bob, myself, and our guest is, visuals often help aid to the story and give it paint a better picture if you will so follow us there join us and if this is your first time listening please hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on we are happy that you've joined us on this journey through time that was a little weird and cliche, <laughs> but it's whatever <laughs> we do post a new podcast every monday with a new traveler or adventurer and the first monday of every month is a recap of last month's travel news. And you, if you subscribe, you can stay up to date on all of our podcast releases. So our website also has specific travel gear recommendations, and you can also book trips with past guests. So check that out and let us know what you think even. And we appreciate you subscribing, following us, and listening. So the most important part, which you are all been waiting for as of right now, was figuring out what the answer to last week's trivia question was. And as Bob had stated last week, the Fort Igor, what neighborhood with the oldest Jewish ghetto did Igor recommend visiting to get away from the touristy locations of Venice? And I may butcher this. I may not. I don't know. But if you had answered Canareggio. I think he did pretty good, but I don't know either. Okay. Well, you're, you're 100% Italian, so you should know. And you've yeah, been taking Italian. Technically. Um, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) If you had answered that, we have either reached out to you already or we'll be reaching out and giving you some Traveler's Blueprint stickers. They're pretty awesome. And if you are new to the trivia question, stay tuned to the end of this episode. And you, if you know the answer to the trivia question, you can shoot us a message either on Facebook or Instagram or you can shoot us an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. Perfect. All right, Bob, who do we have as our guest today? So I, I did this conversation alone with my guest. And on this podcast, I spoke with the co-founder of Italy of one of Italy's most popular tour companies, The Tour Guy, also known as The Roman Guy. So on this podcast, we explored the city of Rome and we got into both the touristy attractions like the Colosseum and Forum. And then we we got into off the beaten path location. So it was really, it was just a, it was an all around great conversation on how to explore Rome and where to eat, where to drink some wine. And I think it's a really good resource for those planning a trip to Rome 
uh, to use in, in obviously their, their itinerary building. So without further introduction, please give it up for my next guest, Brandon Shaw. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Brandon, welcome back to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, so so our last conversation uh, was, oh, uh, it was during the time of the COVID-19 outbreak. And today we're going to transition to brighter times in Italy and discuss all there is to do in the beautiful country and specifically the, the beautiful city of Rome, something that, that I'm looking forward to visiting in the very near future. So awesome. before we get into all of that, though, I, <clears throat> I want to ask about your company, the tour guy and the Roman guy. Uh, how did you come to operate such a large tour, tour company in a foreign country? So it's really funny how so I left the States when I was 18 and I lived all in many different countries. I started off in Bologna, then went to Paris. Bologna for a year, Paris for a year, Amsterdam for a year, back to Rome for four years, went to Russia for five years, and then, uh, and then back to Rome for another 10 years. And so before I moved back to Rome the final time, I was living in Russia, and a friend of mine from Transylvania, in Romania, was getting married. So I went to his wedding in Transylvania, and I met my future business partner, you know, Sean Finelli, and he had just started a, a small company called The Roman Guy. And I, got, I ended up moving back to Rome. I got involved with him. We created a corporation out of it, and we started giving tours in Rome. Then people were loving our tours. They're like, hey, do you do things in Florence? We're like, yeah, sure. Then we went to Florence. Then same thing for Venice. Then Amalfi Coast, Pompeii. And it just started growing bigger and bigger until we opened up in Paris and in Barcelona. And we thought, well, maybe people are getting confused because the Roman guy giving tours in Paris. So then we, you know, we changed the name to the tour guy. But we, run, we have both websites still on, and people are, are booking through both. So just the tour guy is a little bit more of a global name, making it easier for people to understand we don't just do things in Rome, the city. Yeah. And I know I mentioned to this to you off air, but as I was planning my own trip to Rome, I naturally went to, to YouTube and different outlets for, for information. And of course, I don't think you can type in Rome tourism without uh, the videos of Sean popping up. And yeah. How did how did he end up on the one behind the or in front of the camera and not you? How did that work? Well, out? he's he's the the good looking one, you know. So <laughs> we decided to put him in the front. No, yeah. he uh, he's he's the mastermind behind the, the our YouTube videos. He started the channel, and so it made more sense for him to do it. And then it started to grow, very popular. So we said, why change the face that's working? You know. And yeah. So something that I really appreciate uh, about the YouTube videos with Sean that that translates well for my travel style is the way that he will bring you to a city and tell you how to see that city in a timeline. So he'll give the timeline and he'll say, at least for some of them, you know, go to this destination first, then he'll, it'll, he'll go to a map and he'll show the route you can take from the destination you start in to maybe a cafe to get a, a, an espresso. And he'll give an approximate time of how long he'll be there before moving on to another destination. And so for a lot of these videos, you can really get an idea of the route that you're going to take which for me, someone who looks at maps quite often and likes to understand the route that way, it really works well. And you can essentially take a lot of these videos that he's created or that you, you two have created and just copy them, <laughs> you know, exactly yeah. as they are. Because they're, they're that's the they're plan. Great. That's what we wanted to do. So our mission accomplished, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I really like them. And, and 
I've been using them. Uh, he has one on Venice and Florence and the different how to see vineyards in Florence. And so there's a ton of good information on there. And if you're listening to this, um, after you're done listening, of course, go to the YouTube page, go to the Roman Guy YouTube page and check out some of these tours because there's a, a, a great information and you don't need to read it all. You can just watch someone else experience Italy and get an idea of what it's like to yeah. do it. Yeah. So, so now you're, you, you started doing tours throughout Italy, but today we're going to discuss Rome, right, in detail and uh, maybe have you on times in the future to do different cities. Sure. Ken, let's, let's start from the beginning. You arrive in Rome um, mm-hmm. instead of the airport, because I know that's quite a bit off. Let's just say you arrive in Rome and your starting point is the Roma Termini. Okay. How would you, how would you start your experience? So the train station, Termini, is right in the center part of the city. The good thing is that if you're starting from Termini, you have a lot of public transportation options to get you all across the city. The easiest way from there is either by metro, you know, the subway, or going by bus. I mean, if you're, so there's two ways to do it. I always like to start from the Colosseum, only because the Colosseum is what everyone since their little child has heard about, has read about, and you've seen it in movies and recreated everywhere. But when you actually see it, it's still just, you just stand at the first time. And I recommend that you do it from the subway. You take the subway to the Colosseum. And as you walk out of the Colosseum, it literally opens up right in front of you. It like smacks you in the face when you walk out of the, the subway station because it's right in front of you. And you see this 2000 year old building that has survived earthquakes, pillages, I mean, everything known to, to mankind. And it's still there. And it's just a fascinating building. So I would start with that first because that'll start your trip in, in a perfect way. Yeah. Welcome to Rome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so part of seeing the Colosseum is also experiencing the Forum, which is next door to the Colosseum. It's a whole, yeah, it's the whole archaeological area. So okay. you do the Colosseum first, then you go to the Roman Forum, which was kind of downtown Rome 2000 years ago. And then you go see the Palatine, which is the hill. Right up above, that's where the emperors lived. So and it's a three-point process, I guess. And I know that you offer several different types of Roman Colosseum tours. Can you bring us through what some of those are and maybe which one you prefer? Sure. So the, I, the most popular one are, are tours that offer the underground. So if you, when you walk inside the Colosseum, there's a few different levels you can walk on. And some of them are more exclusive access areas. So you have, it, let's say you walk into the Colosseum, you first have the underground area then the arena floor, then the second floor, and then the third floor. I'll just call it, it's easier, simpler to explain mm-hmm. it like that. So we offer one tour that does the underground area, which means you actually go inside to a separate entrance and you go into a gated off area. <clears throat> you go downstairs underneath the arena floor. So the arena floor is when you see in movies where like movie gladiator, where everybody, the gladiators fought. They literally fought on top of a, a wooden platform with sand on top, right? But the area underneath that, that was off limits to the general public, was where all the gladiators were before the actual event took place, where all the animals were, where all the weapons were stored before the fighting actually started. And then they were lifted up onto the stage, the arena, with elevators. So that is true in the movie Gladiator. They actually had elevators and they could shoot animals out from the underground as well. So first you can go down and see that area on our underground tour. And then you go into the arena floor itself and see where the gladiators fought themselves and wow. dress you up in gladiator outfits and make you guys fight each other. <laughs> so, so <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> one thing I never realized was, and I guess I just didn't really consider it, is that the floor of the Colosseum is made of wood. Makes sense yes. now that you say that. It wouldn't be yeah. concrete or something. But um, it, So what exists there today? Is that actually the same floor or, or has that been reconstructed? 
It's been reconstructed, yeah. Okay. And the wood would have been taken away a long time ago. But they reconstructed right. a portion of it. So it's only, I would say, a third of the arena floor they've reconstructed. So you can actually go and walk on it a little bit. And it makes okay. you feel like what a, you know, it's an amazing thing to actually walk out on there because you can turn 360 degrees and get an idea of what it would have been like 2,000 years ago. And it makes you understand how small you are, you know, compared to a stadium of 50, 60,000 people surrounding you. Wow. It's like going into giant stadium, you know, and just standing in the middle and you get an idea of how many people would be screaming 2000 years ago. 50, 60,000 people. That's, that's yeah. a humongous stadium. I mean, to, to put that in perspective, the city that, that I live in, Philadelphia, the, the stadium that the Philadelphia Flyers play in, I believe holds a little bit over 19,000 people. Yeah. I mean, this is all of our modern stadiums come from the Romans, you know, like the Greeks would just create a, a semicircular theater Whereas the Romans created an amphitheater, right? Amphi meaning double. So they put two semicircular theaters together and they have about 360 degrees. And yet the minimum estimates are around 50,000. Some historians say up to 80,000 people could fit inside. Wow. It would have been a really cool spectacle to see yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Something that I, I learned recently, or I guess over the few years as I started to travel more and more, was that <clears throat> this, this structure is actually not only located in or this, this type of structure is not, not only located in Rome, but you can actually see similar amphitheaters throughout the, the Europe, into Croatia and different different areas. All over, in um, Tunisia, I mean, anything that was ancient Rome 2,000 years ago, which remember the empire extended from Scotland to modern-day Iran to the Atlantic coast. I mean, it, it covered a huge amount of area. And they had stadiums everywhere. Wow. The biggest, though, was the Colosseum. That was the biggest and best. So. Yeah, and remains to be today. So. Yeah. So now you have these different tours and you can, do they include going back into the forum and, and throughout that yeah, area so as well? All of, all of the Coliseum tours will, after the Coliseum's part, will then go into the forum and the Palatine Hill. Okay. So it's ancient Rome kind of tour. Some of them are, we have a, a, a two and a half hour tour that will just take you onto the arena floor real quick to give you that exclusive access and then take you to the forum. The underground is three and a half hours because it goes underground. It goes to the arena floor and then over to the Roman Forum in Palatine Hill. We have an underground plus third level, which allows you three different areas of exclusive access. So you have, as a regular just visitor going inside, you can go to the first and the second level. But this takes you underground, arena floor, and the third level, which gives you kind of a, a bird's eye view up top where the, the lower class would have sat uh, 2,000 years ago. Okay. And, and so... You cannot go underground or to the third floor without being with a guide. Is that correct? Okay. And then another tour that I, I noticed that I'm interested in is a nighttime tour that you offer. Yeah, which, it's it's amazing at nighttime. That's that's the feeling that I got. I think this is another video that I watched with uh, with Sean where he went through and he really expressed how uh, how nice it was to tour at night, not only for the views of the city and the forum at night, but also because there's a lot less people book that one because it's it's at night yes yeah. yeah that that sounds like something that so i might you can't go into the forum at nighttime we do start the tour in a different part of the city with a nice view of the entire forum so we can explain the forum from the outside but on top of a hill so you get a really beautiful view of the entire area and then because it's close to the forum at that point and then we go inside the coliseum but the coliseum at nighttime is very restrictive so they don't allow many groups inside and so at nighttime you'll go in the coliseum and you literally won't see another group for most of the tour. Inside. Wow, wow. And you can see them on a nice night, you see the full moon over the Coliseum and you're inside. It's a, it's a once in a lifetime experience. 
yeah, I I could almost imagine people maybe doing both if they if they're if they have the capability to do so, experience it during the day, see the underground, and then maybe come back on a later night and and get that extra experience of seeing the well, you the do top the underground, floor. you do the underground and the evening tour as well. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, oh. underground arena floor and then second level on the evening. Okay. Tour. All right. All right. So so now you're you're in it you're in rome and you've just finished your coliseum tour where would you say someone should go grab a bite to eat maybe for lunch so it's tricky by the coliseum because as you can imagine in any major european city with a lot of tourism inside of it there's a lot of tourist traps so what you want to do is next to the coliseum is a part of this it's a part of town called monti and monti is a actually 2000 years ago is the birthplace of julius caesar he was born there in that part today it's a very trendy relaxed area, local area, you want to kind of head into Monte a little bit. And there are lots of little tiny restaurants along the inside. So you just want to get away from the, the general area where the, the main tourists are. And there's lots of little restaurants you can find. The menus are always outside. Check the menu if the price matches, then just head in there and uh, eat. Do not go into any, and there's a general rule in Rome, do not go to any restaurant where there is someone outside trying to get you to come inside to eat food. Good, good tip. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know that exact type of restaurant. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for you, where would you say your favorite slice of pizza in Rome is? So my favorite pizza is a very small bakery that also produces a lot of pizza. It's called La Ranella, and it's in Trastevere. So Trastevere is the part of Rome on the other side of the river. Okay. It's walking, well, I, it's walking distance, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, for just a slice you know, they do it by, they weigh it for you and you can have as much as you want. And uh, it's freshly baked and amazing. What about this slice of pizza makes it so amazing? But I mean, like everything in Italy, everything's fresh. You know, all the freshest ingredients and very few ingredients are needed to make something really tasty. So whereas, you know, you compare with French cuisine where they have a lot of ingredients, a lot of toppings and things. In Italy, you can literally have a piece of pizza with just tomato sauce on it. But whatever magic they do, back there, you know, with the simplicity and the freshness of it just makes it taste amazing. Ah, I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. So one thing I just did take note of was that you called it tomato sauce and not gravy. It, now, living in Philly, right. a lot of people use gravy here. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very American, Italian-American. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. It seems to be more of like a, a South Philly, maybe a Brooklyn thing, not even Italian-American. It's just Yeah, like, you're right. Certain yeah, air, certain, certain pockets. Right, right. Okay, so so now you see the Roman Coliseum and you do your tour there. You maybe go uh, grab a bite to eat. Now, if you kind of had your time in the touristy section of the city and you want to maybe spend your afternoon going somewhere uh, with less tourist attractions and maybe maybe it would give you a more authentic experience of Rome, where would you then head to and how would you get there? What mode of transportation would you use? So I'm a little bit biased because so I'll, I'll let all of you know what I would do. So I lived in a part of Rome called Monteverde, which is literally right after Trastevere. So if you have a map of, of, of Rome, the city in front of you, of course, in the north is Villa Borghese, which is the massive park. And then you have the city center, right? And then you have the river. To the left of the river is Trastevere. And right after Trastevere, over the hills is Monteverde. I would go there because all of a sudden you go from tourist Rome to local Rome. And it's very easy to get there from Piazza Venezia, which is the main square of Rome. You jump on the eight tram and it takes you right to that part of town. So just one tram ride takes you all the way up, it takes you through Trastevere and right to Monteverde and get off 
and now you're in real Rome. So it means there's no tourists walking around. Uh, it'll be more challenging as far as language goes, but still, you know, you can still get a drink, a few words in English, everybody can pretty much understand. Or the old owner will go and call their daughter over and say, hey, translate this for them. You know, what, what do you guys want? And for a local experience, and it's literally, it's a 15 minute tram ride. So you're not going outside the city. You're still in the center of the city, but just a little bit outside and you're in for a very nice local experience. Okay, interesting. Is there a neighborhood in maybe New York or Philadelphia that you would compare to the section of the city? Oh, yeah, I would say, so like, yeah, something similar to that, or even even more, I would go like, you know, Manhattan is the city center of Rome, and then Brooklyn or Bronx, something like that is Monteverde. Okay, okay. So, you know, something much less, just where locals are, there's, it's not a, there's no tourist feel to the area. Right. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the city now, it looks like there's a pretty big park nearby. Is that a park? The, if you see Villa Pamfili, that's the park in Monteverde. Okay, yeah. And and a tip for anybody listening, I don't know how many people know this, but if you're looking at a neighborhood on Google Earth, the there's a different shading for high commercial areas. And so it's a good way to figure out where the popular restaurants are, the retail locations are, and, and uh, it, it sort of separates it from the residential neighborhoods, which... Now, would you recommend walking through the residential areas and getting a feel for that and then maybe grabbing something to eat? It's anywhere? all restaurants because all it Italians, is. Okay. they love to eat. So, I mean, it's, even on that, main, there's one main road on the tram. Just yeah. stay on that road and you will find literally 15, 20 restaurants. I mean, there's, and it's all local people that are going. So the price, you'll see a huge difference in price. And it, the food is, is good, if not better than what you're going to eat in the center. Perfect. I'm not okay. saying to stay over there, but just... For a, a local feel experience, definitely go and check it out if you have an afternoon and yeah. it's just different. I think that's something I would recommend. Personally, I would recommend that for everybody to just sort of, if you have the opportunity to venture outside of a city, not not the city, but the main tourist destination, you, you definitely should. It's it's one of the and best it's not, again, it's not far away. It's, it's one tram ride. It takes you right there. Now, remember, of course, especially in the city center, you can find restaurants open even at 6 p.m. Once you get out of the the tourist bubble, as you call it, you know, then restaurants open around 7.30. They before. open around 7.30? Yeah. Okay. All right. Before and 7.30 so, is, is hard to, to eat because regular Italians would never go to a restaurant before 7.30. Okay. As weird as that sounds to Americans, you know, like sometimes five o'clock we eat dinner there, it's impossible. So getting into dinner, where, let's, let's maybe go back to the, the more touristy area or the city center where I think, I think a lot of people probably end up staying in this general area. Mm-hmm. Where would you recommend people get dinner uh, neighborhood wise? And then if you give, could give us me, give me two restaurants, maybe a higher end restaurant and then maybe more of like a family uh, or divey type of, of location. <laughs> okay. So I think, I think if you're going to Rome, it would be, it would be difficult for me not to recommend this place called Lamani and Pasta, which literally means your hands in pasta. And it's a, it's a restaurant is extremely popular with tourists and locals alike. So it's a place that I go to. I know the owners and it's in Trastevere. So remember on the other side of the river, it's in a less touristy part of Trastevere, but there's usually a line outside to eat and you have to reserve and it's just nonstop. And the waiters are inside running around, going crazy. What you think from a movie and they'll just sometimes just throw a little plate of, pasta on your table that you didn't order and like some extra that was in the, in the, in the pot Here, have a have a taste you know and uh they'll do that all night long and you see them running around going crazy and they have fish dishes and the pasta is amazing and the you know the starters are good which are called antipasto you know i mean everything it's just it's an experience as well so it's an experience but it's not 
geared towards tourists. It's geared towards locals, but tourists, of course, over time learn the same places locals go to. So I would definitely try there. It's not overly expensive. Remember, you don't have to spend a lot of money to eat well in Rome. It's, I would say, maybe even 30 to 40 euros per person, including wine, and it's solid. You know, you're going to get a really good, good meal, you know, unless you want to go like, to a Michelin star restaurant. But I, I, would, I would stick to something like this. It's, it's very, very good. As far as a dive place, like a dive restaurant to go to, you have quite a few of these in the city. Uh, it might be intimidating for somebody who doesn't speak Italian to go in because when you walk inside, it's literally 1950. Think 1950 <laughs> again. It's just everybody sitting crammed right next to each other, one on top of another, and just a plastic or like a paper tablecloth across there. The wine is just pitchers and you get one glass for your water and wine together. They're not going to give you a second glass. And if you ask for it, they yell at you or look strange at you like you're... Wait, is it, it's one glass each? One for water, one for wine? Or one that you need to use for both? One for both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because like a typical osteria, you know, like in the old days, you get one glass and that's it. And then the wine is, is local wine, which can be a little bit strong, grown in the hills right around the city of Rome. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy, simple drinking wine that you're going to have that goes well with any meal. And even red wine is served cold. And uh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, it's a, it's an experience. It's very, <laughs> very, you know, you said like a dive plate, local places, a lot of these local places. And there will be a line out the door, usually of locals. Because again, if you're a tourist and you don't know the area, you don't speak the language, it can be kind of intimidating. You look inside like this weird looking place, you know, with the open kitchen and everyone yelling and screaming inside and everybody sitting on top of each other. But uh, there's a few of them. And uh, it's, it's definitely worth checking it out. Yeah, it, it sounds it. And so, I mean, for someone visiting Rome, especially someone who maybe is only on their first or second time to this city, do you recommend getting that mixed experience of, of seeing the Colosseum and doing the, the, the touristy thing, but then also maybe stepping aside and, and exploring on your own? I think it's not, me personally, I would say, yes, you have to do it. I understand that's not for everybody. Some people don't want to get out of their comfort zone. We try and, and nudge people a little bit out of their comfort zone because you're in a new city, you're in a new culture. And that's you experience, you know, something really local. So, yeah, I would definitely say try and do it. The worst thing that could happen is what? They just look at you funny and maybe make fun of you. But it's okay because you don't know them and you're a tourist and the food's going to be awesome and you're going to spend like 10, 15 euros on dinner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so staying on par with wine and dinner drinks, what else would you, would you recommend to the people touring Rome? All right. So in Italy, there's this phenomenon called the aperitivo. And it's very, very important. If you're going to be in Rome and you want to have a real Italian Roman experience, you have to partake in the aperitivo. Dinners, or let's say restaurants are open until 7.30 because when, let's say, you go out with your friends, it's a Friday night and you're going to go have dinner. If you said to your friends, hey, let's go have dinner at 7.30, they look at you like you're an alien and say, why 7.30? We have to have the aperitivo first. So the aperitivo means you go to a local bar, a local place, and you have the before dinner drink. Now, this can be something easy like a glass of Prosecco, it can be a spritz. It can be something a little bit heavier, like a Negroni. And there's usually food at these places where you go have a drink and you eat some food first. So this is around 6 o'clock, 6, 6.30. So you go and do this. It's time to catch up with your friends, talk. You know, Italians love to talk. So you'll spend like an, at least two hours at the aperitivo. Now it's 8.30. Now you have to get to the dinner place. So now it's around 9 o'clock before you go eat dinner. And dinner is around three hours. So <laughs> that's a typical <laughs> night out in Rome. For dinner and is that typical night out for families and well even like small children is this just sure 
Wow. Not all families, but a lot right. of them. Sure, you, you go, and then if you invite somebody to an aperitivo, it's completely normal. Wow. Okay. That's that's really interesting. And so, what time do you end up getting done dinner? It, yeah, midnight. Wow. Yeah, midnight. Sometimes it's even. That's why, of course, when I was younger, it was easy. Then once you start having kids, and you, some of your friends don't have kids yet, they're like, "Let's go have dinner." I'm just like, "Oh, well, it's gonna be." I said, "Can we do it early?" Yeah, Brandon, no problem. It's all good. I'm going to go to eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. First, everyone's late, at least 30 minutes. <laughs> there, you know, and then like, yeah, we made the reservation for 10 o'clock. It's okay. So, you know, not until 1 a.m. You're not going to leave the restaurant. That is quite an adjustment from the American lifestyle. How long did it take <laughs> you for you to finally sort of get into that Roman groove? I, mean, I was fairly young, so I, I kind of hit it in stride. It was more a problem coming back to America you know, and eating dinner at like 5.30. And it's like, wow, dinner at 5.30. This is really early. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, most of the weeknights, I'm in bed by the time uh, people in Rome are going out to dinner. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's completely normal in Italy. They, they like to eat. And they eat pasta every day. Every day. Yeah. I, there, there was something that I was reading. I, I don't remember now the details of it. But the way pasta is actually produced in Italy is different than it is produced here. There's less ingredients. And I don't know if it was like a whole... I, I don't know if I started saying it now, I would be, it would just be spreading misinformation. But is it true that the pasta just generally is made differently than what you would consume in the United States? I, would, I mean, pasta, pasta is really simple to make. It's usually just flour, water, flour and water, and sometimes a little bit of salt, unless it's, you know, with egg and then you add an egg inside. I mean, it's very simple to make. I think it's more the ingredients that are used in cooking are just, you know, Italians focus on fresh ingredients. And like I said before, not many ingredients. So most main pasta dishes you're going to eat have like two to three ingredients in it. That's it. Okay. All right. I didn't know if it was something with like the wheat or I don't know. I don't know. Not a, yeah, couldn't tell you. Um, yeah. So let's get into the wine. Okay. I know you're, you're very knowledgeable about the wine, right? You're, you're a sommelier, is that correct? I am a sommelier, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a sommelier. I have my own vineyard in Puglia in southern Italy. Oh, is that in the, where is that located geographically? In the heel. Okay, the that's what I thought. That's right. Um, so let's get into it. You are in, in Rome, of course, and now you <laughs> want to start tasting the wine. Is there a specific operation that you can go to and taste wine? Is there a, a, a tour that you offer that you can travel through Rome and taste wine? How would you recommend someone does that? We have, we offer food tours. And so on our food tours, you go and you visit four different places, local places, establishments that, again, you might not want to go by yourself because you might feel a little bit intimidated. But we have a, a guide, it's a foodie that loves food and wine that goes with you and gives you a whole kind of history on food as well. So it's not a historical tour. You know, you're not, we're not going to talk a lot about the Colosseum and historical sites in that aspect. It's more about food and wine. Each place you go to, you eat food, you drink wine, and you kind of work your way through the city eating and drinking. So, yeah. It's uh, paradise. It, it, yeah, it sounds it. It sounds it. It's, there's just so much to do and so much to eat. Now, is there a specific pasta dish that you would recommend that's maybe a staple of Rome? Or, yeah. It's called Amatriciana. 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 And it's okay. very simple. It's with guanciale, which is, it's like a kind of bacon, kind of like pancetta. Mm -hmm. And you just cook that a little bit by itself without olive oil in the pan. It creates its own little... You know, the fat kind of seeps out little by little. Then you put in tomato sauce and a little bit of spicy pepper, like red pepperoncino, and a little bit of red wine inside of it. Let it cook for a while. And then you go to food heaven. <sighs> and yeah. pecorino I mean, cheese on top. The pecorino cheese is important on top. Okay. 
And is it like an American restaurant where they come around and they they do it for you sometimes? No, <laughs> no, they don't do that for you. They'll put a they'll put a, like a little dish of grated cheese on on the table okay. for you. But, uh, All right. So, you know, I forgot. I, I normally follow my in my head where we are ge- located geographically, but we kind of hopped sorry, around. We start talking now. about food and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last thing on food. So in Italy yeah. as well, you have it's called enoteca. So enotecas are wine bars. And wine bars are very common to go have your aperitivo, but it's also even later at night. You don't feel like having dinner. You're going to eat dinner later on. You can go into these wine bars and just have wine by the glass and little snacks they usually have as well. That so there you can perfect. get a really good idea of trying many different kinds of wines at one time instead of buying a whole bottle. And, uh, you know, the people know the wine that are working there and you can say, hey, what should I try? And usually on a, like a blackboard of chalk for the day's bottles that are open and, uh, you know, three, four glass or euros for a glass and you can taste different ones. That that actually sounds perfect. That seems like a really good way to to experience the wine there. I when you're in one of those places, it seems like it's fairly easy to speak to people in in English while while in Rome, especially in the tourist destinations. Mm-hmm. I've I've been trying to learn Italy now. I have I bought multiple books on Audible, and I try to listen to my in my commute to work. Um, it's very hard to, to to find the time to teach yourself sure. the language. Uh, Even just a few words. You'll see Italians love when you speak in Italian, you know, because they don't have to try and speak in English. Even a few things like, hey, ciao, you know, ciao, you know, and then just say a few things. Uh, for example, if you, you want to get a glass of wine, just say vino would be the most basic way to say it. You know, bicchiere di vino means a glass of wine. And, and they're like, yeah. And they'll go and which one do you want? And a lot of them, again, speak. You can try in Italian and then switch to English and, or go back and forth. Use your hands a lot. Okay. I know that Italians like to lose you. Yeah, I can, so. do that. I can do that. So stay on par with wines. Uh, which types? So I'm not, a, I'm not a big um wine. I like drinking wine, but I'm not very well versed in, you know, the, the lingo around wine. So which wines would you say are top priority when in Rome? Is there a specific vineyard that you would look for, a label on the bottle or a certain grape? How would How would you relay that information to tourists? I think it depends. No, you know, Rome is such an international place now that they, any restaurant will have wines from, and it's very standard to have wines from all different regions in the country. Even when you go to an Enoteca, they will have a wide spectrum of different wines. So it's not so because the wine produced around Rome is not always known as some of the best top quality wine. It's easy drinking wine. It's like the wine I told you in those Ostidias, you know, the one glass for both wine and water kind of thing. But, you know, if you want to try... A, a local white wine, it's a Frascati, which is a little tiny town close by, which is, uh, it's good. It's a good straight wine, nothing too crazy. If you want to try a local grape from the area for red wine, it's called Cesanese. And uh, it's a hit and miss. <laughs> you know, sometimes you'll have a good one. Sometimes you'll try and it's like, oh, no, this is not really good. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't think Italy could mess up wine at all. I Now... That being said, you you obviously have lived in Rome for a very long time. You think you your your palate has increased obviously over the years in drinking wine. An American um, would they even notice that it was low quality to Roman standards? Well, I think I mean you have people who know about wine. I think all over nowadays. So I think it depends. From my personal experience with all of our customers, I usually, as a general rule, tell them when you go to a restaurant, just order the house wine. Okay. And it's it's usually it's it's very good. You know, it, it's rare you're going to go into a place and drink the house wine and be like, oh, man, this was this was really bad. It's very right. rare. For some people who may have a more refined palate or just want to try some up, upscale wines, of course, there's always on every menu. You can find them. 
But okay. as a general standard rule, get a liter of the, in the pitcher, you know, of house red or house white. And, you know, it costs like five euros, seven euros maybe for a liter of wine. And it's very good. Something that uh, my wife and I plan on doing when we're there, because we're going to be with a, a, a toddler, we're not going to be able to experience the nightlife and, and go out. So we're going to buy several bottles of wine and essentially stock up for when we're stuck inside into the evening and maybe buy some fresh ingredients, try our hand at making uh, pizza, you know, with the ingredients that we have available to us and sort of make our own little experience in Rome. Um, That's cool. That so be fun. Yeah. Where would you recommend people maybe buy bottles of wine? Is, there, is that something that you could just do at the grocery store very easily? You can. You can buy from the grocery store. Again, obviously, as a sommelier, I'm thinking of certain things probably you should buy. I would recommend instead going to an Enoteca and buy the wine directly from them. Because a lot of times, if you drink a bottle of wine there, the price on the, on the say you buy a bottle of Frescati, that's what mm-hmm. for. it's like 20 euros for a bottle. But if you take it to go, usually they discount it sometimes by 25, 30%. Oh, okay. To go. So okay. yeah, I would buy it more from there because... Supermarkets, of course, have decent wines, but, you know, why not buy it? You can speak to a guy there at the Enoteca and he'll give you, you ask him what you want and he can run you through it and, and give you a better quality wine usually. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, um, so going back to, to the Roman guy and the tour guy, <clears throat> Okay. we went through some of the tours that you, you offer. And if you could give us maybe the best your preferred or I don't know how you want to word it, but a tour that you would recommend to maybe a family that, you know, they should definitely do. If they do any tour with you, this is the one. And then maybe a tour for a couple or a younger group of individuals who are touring around. Like this is the one that you, you should absolutely not miss out on. I think as far as a family goes, so we have specific tours geared towards families with children where instead, you know, obviously taking a a five-year-old to the Vatican is for the five-year-old pretty much a death sentence. You know, they're bored to death inside of there, and understandably so. So we've set up tours in the Vatican, the Colosseum, specified focused on the children. So there's like a treasure hunt involved. They have a map, and this makes it come alive for them. And of course, this way, as an adult, as a parent, you still get to see everything, and the guide will explain things to you as well. But the guys are focused more on the children, so they're involved, and they're immersed in, in seeing these 2,000-year-old statues or this 2,000-year-old building but we have it geared towards them to allow them with a map to go and find certain things. They have to go look for it. Hey, find this head, you know, this marble head, find this coin, you know? And so they're running around trying to find that. And this it's a great way, idea. Yeah. The kids are taken care of and you know, the husband and wife can also go and just enjoy the amazing sights. Right. That's a so great idea. The, yeah. For the family, I, I do it for them. The, the kid friendly tours, I think are by far the best. As for the adults, just like even a couple or a group of friends going at the Coliseum at night, is probably one of the most unique experiences in the city that you can do. Yeah, that's, I, I try to do them all if you can, I guess. <laughs> do it all, yeah, of course. And so how do you recommend people booking with you? Can they just go into your website or TripAdvisor? Is there a preferred yeah, method? Yeah, no, directly on the website, just the romanguy.com or the tourguy.com. Okay. And then you can see all of our tours in Rome and all the other cities that we offer. And, and something that I, I'm curious about and always like to ask people who operate tour companies, if someone was looking to get into being a tour guide themselves, is there a preferred method or is there, are there steps that someone could reach out to, to the tour guy and, and start working for you from some city in the world? Well, if we're talking about Italy, Italy is fairly strict on tour guide licenses. So like I'm an authorized tour guide of Rome and the exam is notoriously difficult to extreme measures. So in the end, I studied for over a year, and in the exam, which is oral exam, 12 of us took the exam, three of us passed. So it's, uh, they make you learn so much stuff that you probably wouldn't even 
never use again in your lifetime. But if you know, if you see a tour guide which they all have the license on, they know their stuff because you've had to study a long time. Is it a history exam essentially? Uh, it's so it's archaeology, it's art history, it's geography and legislation. Wow. And can yeah. anybody do it? Do you need to have uh, citizenship to Italy to study for this test and, and take it? No, you have to be a resident. If you're okay. a resident and then, yeah, they only release the exam once every four to five years. Yeah, wow. I know. It's <laughs> wow. pretty, pretty strict on that. But this is their way of controlling the amount of people who can give tours. Is, is that, so was they, they had an influx or a flooding of people who were trying to become tour guides in Italy? No, I think it's just their way of controlling the market and making sure prices for tour guides, because you know that there's a tour guide union as well, making sure that the prices don't go too low on, uh, on giving tours. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's, I, I don't want to you know, discourage anybody from doing it. It's a great job and it's, if you love history and you love Rome or Florence or Venice, you know, it, it's definitely a satisfying job to, to do because the, you know, I've been inside the Sistine Chapel 3,000 times in the Vatican Museums, but I think the most rewarding thing is that when you, even if you've been inside 3,000 times, the second you go with the group, you get to relive it through their emotions for the first time. And you remember what it was like for you that first time because they look up at Michelangelo's ceiling and you can see their face and you're like, yes. <laughs> and, it comes, and it comes back to you, you know, those emotions when you first saw it because when you see the, the ceiling, it is by far the most fascinating thing you could probably ever see in your life. And so obviously over time, you stop looking up when you go inside because you do it every day. Right. Uh, but then when you see all of our customers and you're explaining it and you see them all hyped about it and they're so into it, you're like, yes, this is good. And they walk inside and their mouth just kind of drops open. And they're just staring up there, not moving. And you're like, yes. And you get to relive it over and over and over again. So that's, it's really rewarding. That's incredible. It, it reminds me of what it's like to be a parent in a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, very, that's very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't really touch up on the, the Vatican and the, the Sistine Chapel or anything. Um, very briefly, because I know we're, we're, you have um, something that you have to do after this. If you could just briefly explain three days in Rome and say, you know, day one, I would hit this, this, and this, day two, this, this, and this, day three, maybe check this out. How would, how would you lay that out? Maybe, maybe well, a very broad blueprint for it. So, you know, you need one month to see everything in Rome. <laughs> As a tour guide, I'm forced to 10 years, to maybe. <laughs> maybe just live there for 10 years and you'll maybe get to see it all. <laughs> I'm obligated to tell you at least 30 days you need to see it. <laughs> but if we're going to do it in three, so there are a few main things you have to see, right? The Vatican, the Colosseum are pretty much musts. Uh, I wouldn't do them on the same day. I would break it up. So if you have three days, your first day could be more focused on just getting an overview of the city, seeing squares, because, you know, you have Piazza Novona, you have Campo dei Fiori, you have Piazza Popolo, you have all these different squares to go and see in different parts of the city. You can see the Pantheon, Castle Sant'Angelo. I mean, there's, there's plenty to see. But you know, your first day you're there, usually you're fly, if you're flying in from the United States, for North America, you're arriving in the morning, you flew all night, you're a little bit tired. You might not have the, the mental capacity of the first day to really listen to a tour guide and explain the area. So your first day, walk through, see the squares. Please do not eat in the squares. Please don't do that because it's just not good. If anything, go a few blocks away from the square and eat there. Now, having said that, if you want to just say, listen, I'm a tourist. I want to enjoy the square. Sit down on the outside cafe and have a drink, which is fine. You know, but the food, as far as quality, please just go to quality and expense, right? Yeah. I mean, even so, the, yeah, for the food, definitely not. For a drink, you know, you spend 15 euros for a glass of wine because you want to have the experience in the square. It's okay and, and enjoy it. 
So first they do that. See the squares? Walk as much as you can because Rome is a walking city. The more you walk, you'll turn a corner and all of a sudden, bam, there's the Trevi Fountain in front of you, right? Most beautiful fountain on the planet. Walk down another winding street, all of a sudden you turn left and there's the Pantheon, a 2,000-year-old temple that's still completely intact. And same thing, walk up a Friday, Piazza Navona. Then there's Campo de Fiori and there's this. So walk as much as you can, have good comfy shoes and just walk it. Next day, do the ancient part of the city. So do the Colosseum, Forum, and Palatine Hill. That's at least half the day. That's usually enough. And then go have the aperitivo and have your before dinner drink and have a nice meal. Uh, and then the last day, go and do the Vatican. You know, now of course, this, we're talking basic, right? Of, of three days to go. Then you can also add in a food tour at nighttime. If you want to do more tours, go to the catacombs. So we do a really cool tour where you go about 15 minutes outside the city to see these underground cemeteries that were built 2000 years ago for early Christianity, which is really cool. I mean, if you have extra time, you can go do a day trip down to Pompeii or do a day trip to the wine country in Florence and Tuscany. So there's plenty yeah. to do, but the basic is see the squares, see the Colosseum ancient area and the Vatican. Make sure to eat and drink the entire time you're doing it. <clears throat> Absolutely. <laughs> Aperitivo dinner, aperitivo dinner, every night, every yeah. night. So how early do you wake up in the morning when you do that? I mean, if you're out until one o'clock in the morning, do you, I can't imagine people have very early mornings or is that incorrect? Yeah, I mean, it's very funny because I would compare life between Philadelphia and, and Rome. So in Philadelphia, you know, you're up and out at like 6.30, there's traffic on the roads, a lot of traffic at 6.30. In Rome at 6.30, there's nobody in the roads. <laughs> it's still empty. Rush hour comes like 8 o'clock. Okay. In All Rome. Right. So. That's, that's still pretty early for being up until, you know, 12 o'clock, 1 a.m. That's still... Yeah. That's, well, the Italians, they love, they love life. You know, yeah. They love to go out. They love to talk. They love to eat. So you'll go to the gym. They're talking about food at the gym. Then you go to the... You go in eating dinner, and they're talking about dinner the next night, or more food the next few days, what they're going to eat. So it's always... It's constant food, wine, good life happy, fun. Yeah, sounds perfect. Hey, I, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I learned a ton about, about Rome. I, cool. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing this. Um, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, before, before we get off, can you just share your websites, your social media accounts one more time so people know exactly where to book it? Yeah, so theromanguy.com, thetourguy.com, and then at the tour guy. Yeah, and like I said uh, early on, check out the YouTube page. Tons of great information and yes. uh, a really good way to get acquainted with with Sean and, and, and learn about these cities. Thanks again. All right. Thanks very much. My mouth is watering and I cannot wait to get to Rome. Uh, I'm going to have to listen this, to this one again and take notes and, and use it to plan my trip, obviously. I wish I had this information two years ago when my mom, my sister, and I went. And as most of you may know, uh, my mom passed away from three years of battling ovarian cancer back in March. And this was the last trip I took with her uh, in April of 2018. And it was quite an awesome trip. I mean, we walked probably 10 miles, 15 miles each day. We got to see tons of sights and we really did eat a lot of phenomenal food. But I wish I had known more about the local food because I think we ate at some pretty touristy places at times. Either way, the gelato was great. The coffee was great. The pastries were amazing. The wine, the charcuterie, everything was just so delicious. And just being able to sit in that setting and take it all in, it was really nice. And I know she had a wonderful, wonderful time. I had a wonderful time. My sister had a wonderful time. And we got some great photos to 
remember her by. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I remember when you were on that trip. And, and that I was think, before the podcast. Wow. Wow. Was it? I guess it was. Yeah. 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 I remember when you were there and I remember you sending me like a million photos and me going through them there. Yeah, they were awesome. Yeah. And it, it just made, makes me want to go there even more. The thing when it comes to food, though, I, I think even though you might have had uh, food and maybe more touristy restaurants. The the beautiful thing about Rome is no matter where you go, you're gonna have great food. It, it's. I think it was good. I think it was good quality food. I don't think it. I think it was more Americanized. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like the time we got a cheeseburger and I liked the tumbo. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> so bad. Well, that was the only thing available, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if you are feeling generous today please leave us a review. We appreciate constructive criticism. We appreciate positive feedback. We appreciate negative feedback. It helps us learn and it helps us grow. And if you are a fan of the show and you want to know more about our guest, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. And we post all these photos from our guest with more information about that photo and about our guest. All right. And before we let you go, we're going to do this week's trivia question with Brandon. So, as you just heard, what neighborhood did Brandon reside in while in Rome and recommend for travelers to explore to get off the beaten path? If you know the answer to this uh, question, please email us at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or send us the answer via direct message on social media. Either way works for us. If you get the answer right, we will send you a Traveler's Blueprint sticker. Thank you for tuning in, uh, and, and we'll talk to you next week.